0: Good morning, <laughs> sure, so just privilege being able to, to share with you this morning. I just want to start this morning to, um, and echo what Brian said, that we had two days, the whole of Friday and the whole of Saturday, where we just as leaders spend time together and we we really got incredible input and training and impartation from Andrew and uh, and there's quite no one like him that can really convey what he did and reflecting on that just walking away from that i thought to myself the one thing that i I took i took away a lot i think I, i could sell my notes and make a lot of money but the one thing i took away is that this is impossible without jesus that partnering and building his kingdom with him is impossible Without him. And that even being a leader in his house, it's impossible without him. And it was just so evident in in, in what he shared and and like everything he, he touched on, it all came down to Jesus. It all came down to that where he is, life will be where he is, where he is made Lord, where he is lifted high, where he is praised, their life will be. And he even says this in John 14 verse 6, and he says that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So even what I share this morning, I pray that we would see him, and that as a congregation, as a church, we would look forward and we would say, Lord, I want the life that you have, that is in you, that's in your name. And this morning, I want to look at a piece of scripture in Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6. And the previous time, I spoke about the church in Ephesus. And this is now the church in Sardis. And I'll quickly read through it. And it goes and it says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you've still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white they are worthy. And the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. And I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear um, what the Spirit says to the churches. And if you look at that first little part which Jesus says, you've got the reputation of being alive, but actually you're dead. And I actually went and did a bit of research and and what came to mind when I read this verse is is advertising or marketing because oftentimes you'll receive a product or you'll receive an advertisement and on the outside it'll look amazing, but actually how it functions and and how it works is actually not what is shown it 's not what is shown in the advertisement and we see this in, in churches across the globe each year that they they take time and and sit and strategize. Okay, cool. How are we going to sell ourselves? How are we going to make what we preach palatable? How will people see us? What color should we use? How long should our videos be? And, and, and we even use resources like this as a church. And it's, it's incredible to use that. But it's incredible to see how much effort goes into times like these. And I was privileged enough to work on the... Um, the Josh Jen live team for a while during COVID and just helping out and serving there and carrying the camera bags and, and heavy stuff. And, and it was just incredible to see how much effort goes into advertising, into portraying something. And I actually went and did a bit of research on my own now, just to see what is out there, just to see how some places or churches actually advertise themselves and And I've sent a few pictures to Yanni. Thank you, Yanni, for being awesome on AV this morning. Um, And these are actually, some of them are funny, and some of them are real. (laughs) So this one is actually a real advertisement. This is like, give me a spouse or I die. It's not a bad thing. (laughs) Next one. Welcome to the Little Hope Baptist Church. The Little Hope Baptist Church. Next one the devil's hunters ministries man i want to visit that church <laughs> next one church shopping we're open on sundays and then the hips of jesus loved you before you were cool and then the last one yeah what's missing you are <laughs> oh, and there's one out yes this one hit me Easter comes once a year. How often do you? <laughs> and so some of these are funny, which I actually think could be great if, if if we've got some spare money. Maybe we can put a sign outside the school or church. But I'm not sure how that, how that would go down with the rest of the leadership. But it's just incredible to see that what some of these churches put out there, and I actually saw, I saw an article that there was... There were people that started this Christian ad campaign where they would use, they, they, they put money towards videos and Bible studies, prayer groups. One of the things they even called text and good vibes. And I thought, text and good vibes. And the budget that they had for this, it was sponsored to them, but the budget that they had just for this ad campaign came to a 100 million US dollars. That they had for just advertising. And their following grew massive. Because they had the money. They had the resources. They showed, like, this, this is cool. We're perfect. And in so many churches, and in, and, and in, and in even our own lives, we, we see these things where we would go through effort just to draw. Just to draw. And I actually even saw, it's quite a creative idea, but some, some guys even give, like, welcoming baskets to visitors. And when I read that, I thought, we give coffee. <laughs> Free coffee. <laughs> At least it's a cappuccino. Some of it, is, it's coffee machine coffee, so it's not bad. <laughs> but it's almost as if everything revolves around painting this picture of putting something out there. But then Jesus says, what's going on on the inside? How's your heart looking? What's happening inside? And I don't know if any of you have experienced where you see those very mark advertisements on, on the TV. And they would say like, you know, this vacuum can clean everything. It can even iron your clothes and, and all those things. And then You would go out, you would save up for a year because it's very expensive for plastic. And then you would buy this thing and then a week goes by and then it just, it dies. And you think to yourself, man, but this isn't what they said. (laughs) This isn't what the advertisement portrayed. This thing is actually, in in the sense of the scripture, this thing is dead. It's not alive. And then you read about the church in Sardis. You see this thing where Jesus says to them, you've got the reputation of being alive. You're showing. But actually, I'm looking at your heart. And imagine if a church really advertised the current state they are in. Imagine a church put out a sign and said, hey, come worship with us. We don't expect any effort. Just come, sit, be comfortable. Or they say, Come in, we've got free coffee. Imagine. Imagine the result. We need Jesus. <laughs> we really need him. And it's something that I realized just over this weekend is that yeah, I cannot walk this out with, without him. And as we go, I want to look at the verses, verse by verse, in, in Revelation if we can put up the first one, Revelation 3 verse 1, which Jesus says, and he speaks and he says, um, oh, excuse, I've got it here as well. Uh, yes. Um, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And here Jesus is addressing the current state of the church in Sardis. And it's actually interesting to know that Sardis at that time, the city was one of the most well-defended and protected cities in the region, and it actually financially it was doing great. It, it, it's almost as if it had no lack. It had. It. it um. The scholars said that it built up this good reputation on the outside that it, it was almost like the place to be was Sardis. And then Jesus said, "But spiritually, there was no life. There was." It was spiritually, the the spirit was lacking. And I thought about an avocado when I read that. Have, have any of you ever bought your, your list for the avo and it's so green and soft on the outside and then you're ready to eat it to whatever you eat it with. You open it up and then on the inside, it's like brown, this miff. It's, it's just, it's sort of like, hey, I wasted 30 rand for this avo. But it's sort of this picture where Jesus says, This is the reputation. It's on the outside, it's green, it's alive. But on the inside, it's muff. It's dead, it's lifeless. And I actually think, I believe that this church can be a great example for us. Just of what the Lord is showing us. Almost like a caution of a warning, what could happen if we do not allow his spirit to move, if we do not allow him to be Lord. Because he says, he says in his word, he says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, he says that all scripture is God breathed. And it, uh, yeah, 2 Timothy. All scripture is God breathed um, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So I think we can use this can use this church's example it's okay cool lord show us how how can we not do this how can we learn from this and i think it's it's good to almost ask the question of how how does a church look uh, looks like that is dying what what are the signs of of things that can maybe bring death or, or even the causes of death And I've got a few, I've got four points there. There are a lot, but these are sort of standouts. When a good reputation matters more than a bold witness for Christ. When religion takes the place of relationship. When convenience and comfort overrule sacrifice and faith. And when tradition has a louder voice. And the Spirit of God. And these things should be an example to us, not just as a church, but actually as individuals in our own lives. As we look at our own lives, because the church is a whole, but we are still individuals in the church, running together, running each running his own race. And I think we can draw from this individually and say, okay, Lord, search my heart. And actually one One writer even called the church in Sardis the perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. The perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. And another writer said, But how did this happen at Sardis? And he wrote and he said that the church had come to the place where it lived before men rather than before God. And it was more anxious in all probability about the reputation in Sardis rather than their reputation in heaven. And then, going on to the next verse, Jesus speaks, and he says in Revelation 3, verse 2, he says, um, let me read from there, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And I've, I've experienced this in my own life where you sort of start going through the motions. You almost, how can I say, you get the hang of things or you get the swing of things. You, you know how to get results. You know how to, to do something that will give you this result. And it's actually it's a dangerous place to go. Because you start knowing, oh, if I do this, this will happen. If I maybe say this, this will happen. This will be the result. This, this will be the person's reaction. But actually, what it ends up, it, it starts being dangerous for us in our walk with the Lord. It hinders us from partnering and building with Him. Because He's not after our works. He's after our hearts if our hearts are truly His, truly submitted to Him, our works will be a result of that. It will be a fruit, not just a work. It will be a fruit. And there's this old saying that, you know, you, you, oftentimes we get busy with the things of God, and, but we actually end up being too busy for God Himself. That we're busy with things for him and of him but we're busy too busy for him He's after our hearts not what we can give jesus says he says i've not found your works complete i want your heart i'm just reminded of the story in 1 samuel 16 where um where god sends samuel to go and, and anoint the new king of israel he says go Go find me, the new king of Israel. And God actually instructs him and says, Okay, I'm going to send you to the house of Jesse. So it's David's, David's house. And then God goes and, and, um, and, and Samuel says, And when it came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And this was Jesse's oldest, eldest son. He said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or in the height of his structure because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And in that moment, Samuel said, and this is a prophet, he said, look, Surely this part, because he's got the looks. Like there's that old song, He's got the looks. He's got it. But God says, no, he might have the appearance, but he doesn't have the heart. The heart outweighs appearance every day, every day, any day. And even in John 15, Jesus speaks, he speaks about him being the vine and we are the branches. And he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing And I think it's so easy to when you get the hang of things and you get the swing of things. And I am, I'm constantly, I'm honest, I'm constantly adjusting from this. Because I think I've got this perfectionist edge where you want to get things right, you want to do it well, you want to hear a good and faithful servant. But oftentimes, we can run past the Lord, we can run quick, even though He's already there. We can still run past him and fall into that place. I've not found your works complete. Because I want your heart. Sorry, my throat is dry. Are you guys still with me? Sorry. He wants our heart. And then goes on in Revelation 3 verse 3 and he says remember then what you have received and heard keep it and repent for if you will not wake up I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you (sighs) sorry scrolling too quick see I'm going too quick now (laughs) Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. And here Jesus is charging them and he's saying, guys, remember what you received. Remember the gospel preached to you. Remember grace. Remember mercy. Remember the faithful man that came and poured out my heart to you. And I remember, I'm remembering, when we just got married, Rebecca and myself, we, I asked, this is something I saw my dad do, and I thought to myself, I want to do this as a husband, is he always, every night before school, he would pack our lunch, and he would spend hours packing and perfecting, and and he would oftentimes get stickers, and, and I thought to myself, okay, I want to do this for my wife. And so every night, still now, I pack her lunch, Get a lunchbox ready for the next morning. But the first few months, we had this little packet of sticky notes. And I would write on it. And obviously, like, you're newly married, so you're flying high, okay? It's like, you are like, yes, I'm married, and I'm going to, um, you're pursuing your wife even more than before. And it's just, you're doing, you're going through all this effort. And I'm writing, like, and yes, moi, and senior loter, and... All these all these beautiful things. That's what it means to be the gyuki. And I and I Al almost every day for the first few months I would give her sticky notes, so we flew through sticky notes. But then after a while it just sort of faded. And it wasn't because of a lack of love for my wife, not at all. I think you sort of get to the point where you actually say, ah, oh, she knows I love her. Why should I go, like, except for alcohol every morning when she leaves for work? But Jesus says "You remember. Remember what you did. Even, even the church in Ephesus, he said that to them. Remember the works you did at first. And here he says, remember what you received. And I received a good thing. That's what scripture says. A wife is a good thing. So remember. But he then goes on and he says, not just remember, but keep it. Keep on doing it. Keep it. Hold it. And then he says, repent. Return. Change your mind. Go back to that place. And so I started writing notes again. (laughs) Not every day, but at least maybe two one or two a week (laughs) so i'm getting there (laughs) but he's saying remember keep it and return return and then he goes in the last part of that scripture he says that if you will not um, if you will not i'll come like a thief And you will not know know at what hour I will come against you. And I've often thought to myself, if the Lord had to come this morning, if he had to come today, how would my pit look? What would he find in my heart this morning? What, What condition would my heart be if he had to come? If he had to open me up? And we're constantly all going, search me, Lord. Because if I had to lose her, I had to lose everything good in my life. And he says, I will come when you will not know. If, if. He's so gracious. There's so much mercy. He is mercy. He says, remember. I've given you mercy. I've given you grace. I've given you the gospel. Live it out. And then Jesus goes and he speaks in Revelation 3 verse 4. And he says, and here he brings hope. He said, yet you still have a few names in Sardis. People who have not spoiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. And you see this held against the previous verse, where Jesus says, repent, turn back. And this is almost the the commendation he gives to those who have. He says, there's still a few who have not soiled their garments, and they will be dressed in white, and they will walk with me, for they are worthy. And he makes this honorable mention of those who have done this, who have kept their lives for Him, not for themselves, for Him throughout the corruption and pollution. And He makes this promise, this eternal promise, and He says, they will walk with Me. And He's saying that this is the destination. This is the result of a heart sold out for Me. Of a heart not going through the motions, not coming to to receive, but coming to give. Of a heart that is abandoned for him. Of a heart that is sold out for him. A heart that is set apart for him and not the world. He's saying, those will walk with me. And then he carries on. In Revelation 3 verse 5, he then says, The one who conquers will be clothed, thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And it's incredible to see how he went from the whole, and he's speaking to the individual. And he's now not saying, "Not church and sod, as he's saying, "The one, the one who conquers. I will blot I will not blot his name out of the book of life. because he's after the one. He cares for each one individually. He goes through the crowds and he says, "I want your heart. I like your heart." He's addressing the individual heart. He's not addressing the church as a whole. He says, the one who conquers. I will not blot his name out. I will confess his name. He's calling out the individual. He's saying that this is your race to run. Your race to run. And I've gone through stages where it's so easy to almost ride on someone else's success or or ride on someone else's hard work. And in the one sense, in the biblical sense, it's actually an honor to be able to do that. You know, if we see what leaders before us have have broken open, we are walking in, in the faithfulness of certain men. But on the other hand, Jesus is saying, the one who conquers, it's your race to run. You still have to contribute. You need to participate. You need to give. Of yourselves, I want your heart. I've not given you someone else's heart. I want your heart. And we're each called to give, to contribute. Each called, in in whatever way that may be. Whether you've been here six months or six minutes, each person brings what they have before the Lord and says, Lord, here I am, and what, even what Brian shared, just as that lady that poured out all she had, all she had, and Andrew used it as an example as well, all she had, and in some of our families, we all have different families, and Afrikaans, and English, and some of us may have like an uncle or an aunt or someone that's that's maybe unsaved or does not know the Lord, and and they know that you are saved, so they will then often go when when they speak to you, they would almost put you on the pedestal and like as a kerk means, and and when you would speak about things and and you would greet them, and they would actually afterwards say, "Oh, but muffin my part work," or they would say, i oh pray on my behalf as well," and like, I. I won't pray on your behalf. I'll pray for you. <laughs> but it's this thing of like, there's no laziness in the kingdom. Is <laughs> each one has been given a race to run. And Jesus is saying, saying that the one who conquers, I'll confess his name before my father. And he's not saying this as like, just like this impossible thing. He's saying like, listen, Remember the gospel. Remember grace. Remember mercy. You will conquer. And I'll confess you before my father and his angels. Each part of the body works together. We need every person in this congregation to work together. We need every person in Josh Chin to work together to the best of their abilities. The church is not built upon individuals. It's built by individuals working together. And Andrew always says that if one person hurts, we all hurt. If one person wins, we win. Jesus is saying, come. Conquer. Conquer as individuals. Because if you win the battle that you are facing today, if you pass the test that you are facing today, we are better for it. Every person. And just as I draw to a close, I came across this poem of a of a guy called C.T. Stud uh, or Charles Thomas Stud, and he was this British missionary. Sorry, it's quite a long one, so I just want to. just want to hydrate. <clears throat> hey. And I'm going to read it for us. Sorry, Yanni. I can't even for you. So I'm going to do my best to um, read English in Afrikaans. So. Um, and I want to end with this and then and then, go into something. And, and this for me was just this example of a life poured out for God. Of a life that wasn't just alive on the outside. But a life that was alive on the inside. And that's just what he says here. Oh. So I'm going to read it for us. Two little lines I heard one day. Traveling along life's busy way. Bringing conviction to my heart. And from my mind would not depart. Only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. One life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, which will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with, it cl- with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, One life, it will soon be past. only what's done for Christ will last. I'm almost done. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true to whatever strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life, it will soon be past. only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life. You guys get that thought. And then the last two. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, it was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And then he ends. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, now happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. The lamp of my life has burned out for thee. And he went through his own struggles and he went through his own things. He was such a pioneer with missionary and evangelism work. It was just something that he saw. That he said, Lord, I don't want to be dead. I don't want to be dead inside. I want to be alive outside and inside. I don't want to let my works speak of you. I want to let my heart speak of you. My works will follow. Our heart always. Overrules our works. It cannot ever replace. It cannot ever replace anything. Because it's after our hearts. And I believe he's saying to us, someone said, West, do not have the reputation of being alive. Be alive. Come and give every part. Every part come. And I've come into congregations and and I feel that, uh, this is not on my notes, it, w- it won't ever be on my notes, but I've oftentimes held back where you've got this sense of false humility and you say like, no, maybe someone else will pray or maybe someone else will do it, but then no one does it. And in that moment you think, ah, Lord, I'm not conquering. Not conquering. You come in, and I've done this where they say, Can the leaders just come and pray for someone? And then you would open your eyes and you think, Like maybe someone else will pray. But actually, a heart that is alive would go and say, Lord, I do not know a word of scripture, but man, I'll go and pray. I'll go and say anything just to pray for this person. When the worship starts, and this is not to put up a show, a heart that's alive will say, Lord, let me be in front. Let me be on stage. And it's not for the sake of being in front, but it's that place of living comfort and saying, Lord, everything. Everything is yours. This comfort is not mine. Seek discomfort. I feel he's calling us. But he's calling the individual heart first, not the church. He's calling the individual heart first. If he's got the heart, man, the church will flourish. If he has the heart of the individual, the church will flourish.